Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Well, we are very blessed to have Rob and Mary Grindley from Botswana with us this weekend. Uh, you blessed us yesterday morning and uh, last night, and uh, we invite you to, to come and bless us again. And uh, we are receiving an offering for Rob and Mary. Uh, I've got the two offering boxes marked, so whichever one uh, is appropriate you can give to. Rob? Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back from Botswana. We arrived uh, in country last week, and uh, we're up in Wyoming, I mean up in Montana, and then uh, this is the second place we've got to come. So it's good to be here. We hope uh, our visit is an encouragement to you. We want to thank you for partnering with us in the mission in Botswana, uh, especially with the Orphan Project. And uh, we just want to bring you an update of kind of what's going on in Botswana. Uh, all that you're going to see uh, is things that we have done since 2007. We've been missionaries since 96, but we settled in a certain city uh, since 2007. So we just want to kind of give you an overview. So if we could show the video, maybe turn down the lights a bit um, so we can see it. Mary, kind of bring us through some of that. also trying to give our church a missions vision so we pray for the nations this is church of the harvest in Salibi Pique. that's children's church we also have a church in the village about 20 minutes away this is the Bible school this is a one-year program to train leaders this is our I think our third class that we graduated many of them have become pastors some of them were pastors. This is the Orphan Project, Children of Promise Orphan Center. As we've prayed over the years, uh, the Lord has shown us that some of the children from this center will be as arrows in the hand of the Lord, that God is going to use them mightily. These are the children's bedrooms. This is the director's house. This just shows the inside, some of the furnishings. All that you see has been donated. We give God the glory. This is the Next house that we're working on, we have a large garden area, the start of the playground. And here I am with the vice president of Botswana, who has come on board as our patron to help move the orphan center forward. This is our powerhouse sports program where kids gather to play sports. We talked about them, about the Lord, and we feed them. There are some of our coaches. We also have an HIV program in the schools. Uh, last year, we spoke to over 10,000 young people about five times in the schools. Uh, this 
basically is reaching every young person from junior high to senior high, both in our city and the surrounding villages. And this is a farm that Branch Ministries just purchased. It's about 109 acres just outside of Salibe Pique where we live. And here we will grow crops and have animals to help provide for the orphan center so it won't be so donor dependent and also help to support our other community projects in the future. In December, we had a container delivered from the States that had a lot of farm equipment in it. You can see a lot of the equipment there, the farm tractor and the plows and the harrows and all that we needed. It was a tremendous blessing. And we also had a lot of furniture that was donated here in the States that came over on that for, to help furnish the orphan projects. This is some of the team, Sister Mavis. She's been a blessing. She's been with the ministry from the onset in Botswana, Tato. Nurse, such a sweetheart. We thank God they, that he's really brought us some really um, quality people. There's Lebo, Nyani, and Sapang. They're part of our peer educators for the in-school HIV program, Future. I love their names. Orabile. He stays with us. McNeil. And here we put together just a brief uh, Google Earth presentation just to give you a visual of how the ministry has expanded and grown. I'd like to actually walk up here. If you can see, um, it's actually going to show you where each of the areas of ministry are located. The first one zooms in on the Orphan Project, which is just about 20 miles, 15 to 20 miles south of us. This is the Orphan Center, the first orphan home, second orphan home, third orphan home. Up there, you saw the, um, director's, the house. director's house, and here we have the garden in this area. So this is a five-plus acre plot that the government has issued to branch ministries for the Orphan Center. And as I said, that's just south of the city of where we live. Salibe Pique is about the fifth largest city in Botswana. And now I think it's going to zoom in to where we hold the Bible school, which is that gives you an idea of what the city looks like. And this facility right here is a facility from here to here that Branch Ministries rents, and that's where we have the Bibles, hold the Bible school. The church also uses that facility. Um, and we also have our in-school HIV prevention program office there. And then where we stay is right in city center, and this shows the mission house, which Branch Ministries has here, which also has uh, houses all the offices for all the areas of our ministry and our powerhouse sports, all of our equipment and everything, and where we do all the cooking is also at that mission house. And now we move to Botabello, where our main church branch is, and also where our powerhouse sports program, after-school sports program, is held here. You see the church just up here, right there? Um, that's our main branch, and that's only, they're not even a half a mile apart. This is a high-density, poverty-stricken area here, so almost all of the children that participate in our program are orphaned and vulnerable children. And then here we see the farm just north of the city, about 10 kilometers, and it borders a major river called the Matlozi River, so we do have a, 
a good water source year-round. And we're, we've already planted our first crop in this area here. We have a clearing of about 30 acres, and we've already cleared that and planted our first crop. So we give God all the glory and all the honors. You can just see how the ministry has expanded. A lot of people have said they couldn't really picture what Branch Ministries is doing in Salibe Pique, and so that just gives you a visual. We want to thank you again for your part in the work of the Lord there. Even though some of you are physically here, I want you to know that through your giving, you have gone to Botswana. You have touched lives. You have brought salvation to people. You've brought hope to people. You've helped to bring healing and wholeness to people. And may God richly bless you. Thank you very much. Shut it off, yeah. Okay. Can put the lights back on? Yeah, praise the Lord. So that's what we're doing. Uh, yeah, we don't need that anymore. Okay. That's what we're doing in Botswana, praise the Lord. Uh, we're busy missionaries, as you can imagine, with all those different programs. One of the things that it didn't show is that we're also in a primary school. I'm the parent of one of the primary schools in our town. Uh, what happened is in 2008, the Lord spoke to me while I was praying and said that he wanted me to start playing sports with kids. And I told the Lord I didn't want to do that. Um, and uh, But he was uh, rather insistent about it. So I started a program playing with the children from this high density suburb. We started with about 100 kids coming and playing different sports with them. And um, at first, our relationship with the school was a bit adversarial. They didn't like what we were doing because they thought we were taking the children away from their afternoon studies. Um, and after about two or three years of really uh, finding that the school was really not appreciating what we were done, um, I was called to the school, and they asked me to be the parent of the public school, which was quite a shocker, and which meant that I would preach to the students and the teachers every Friday morning. And so we started that. The first year, the grades of the school went up 17%. They received the most uh, improved school in the region. Uh, they were consistently number 11 out of 11 schools in our town, number 10, number 11. They are now the fourth school in the whole region, not just in our town, but in our region, praise the Lord. And so they continue to get awards every year for improvement. It's amazing what the gospel can do when it gets into a school. Hallelujah. And uh, some of the teachers have now been saved. Uh, one of them actually had a visitation from Jesus who spoke to her, and she came out of a cultic church. Praise the Lord. Uh, others have been saved in car wrecks and different things. God is just doing amazing things. And because of our work with Powerhouse, the government actually asked us to go into the schools and start an HIV program, uh, speaking on abstinence and uh, character. We were rated the number one program in the country in 2013. Uh, the government has given us grants. Those grants have now ended. We're looking for other sources as well, but we've been able to keep it going. And um, in our town, the government has said, you know, your program is so good that if we have vehicles, we'll actually drive your peer educators to the schools uh, to save you some petrol money. Praise the Lord. And as Mary said, the, the vice president of Botswana, he just left office uh, last year. He has come on board to say, you know, what you're doing uh, with orphans and so forth, I'm so impressed, I want to help you. And so he has become our spokesman in the nation, hallelujah. It's amazing what God can do, how God can give favor 
uh, and and uh, just hope that's an encouragement to you in your life as well. That you know the scripture says God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think or imagine. I believe me next time we'll have pictures with us with the president. Hallelujah, and we'll be doing other things as well. Um, the vice president also uh, he. We met with him a few times at his house. He has a heart to uh, start preschools in the country uh, for children between the ages of three and five years old. We met with him, and he said, um, I want a curriculum to be developed, uh, which will also help the children to be God-fearing. And so we asked him, you know, do you want us to see if we can help you with that? And he said, yes. So the potential is really to reach uh, all, all the young people in the nation in some of these programs. So uh, if you have expertise in working with children three to five, uh, you might be able to give us some good input. Maybe you want to come over and help us uh, train some workers for that kind of thing. God is, is doing amazing things. Hallelujah. And so we thank you. The doors are open. Uh, talk to your pastor if that's in your heart. Uh, also, we're, we're looking for, of course, uh, ways to help the children. So if you want to partner with us, unfortunately, our luggage was lost on the way to, from Botswana to here. And uh, thank God for generous people. So we have some shoes and some clothes to wear. And, um, but our, our luggage has been found. It's been sent on ahead of us now. Uh, but so we don't have any materials to actually leave. We'll, we'll send some back to the church. So if anyone wants to get involved personally, they'll be able to do that. Amen. Let's pray and see where the Lord takes us this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together this morning. Lord, under the inspiration of your holy word. We thank you that your word is truth and light and life. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for grace to communicate and grace to hear what your spirit is saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. This morning, uh, during worship, I... I Realize we, we celebrated the Lord's Supper together. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, tells us about uh, the Last Supper when Jesus met with his disciples. He said in verse 28, For this is the blood of the new covenant, which is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is really the culmination of everything that Jesus uh, was going to do on the earth was really to make this new covenant possible. Hallelujah. And so in the Old Testament, there were some passages in the scriptures where some of the prophets began to speak about a new covenant. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so forth. Hundreds of years before, they begin to speak of what was known as the new covenant. And then we have a period of great silence concerning the new covenant. And all of a sudden, on Jesus' last basic day with the disciples before he's taken, he now mentions this term of the new covenant, the blood of the new covenant. And I was saying last night to those that were here that many times as believers, we are ignorant of our covenant with the Lord. 
I, I became a Christian when I was 11 years old. I don't think I ever really had a teaching about covenant all growing up until I even got to Bible school. And even in Bible school, I didn't really realize that the covenant is actually the pillar of our faith. That our relationship with the Lord is a covenant relationship. Uh, you know, just like marriage, you know, many people nowadays don't understand that marriage is a covenant. And because they don't understand the covenant of marriage, many people don't uh, experience the blessings of marriage. And, and sometimes uh, they don't give to the marriage what they actually vowed that they would give. Nor do they receive from the marriage that which they should receive from the marriage because of misunderstanding the idea of covenants. Uh, what I want to encourage you with this morning is that you and I are functioning or should be functioning inside a covenant relationship with God. A covenant was a binding agreement between two parties, something that was not to be broken. In fact, as we said last night, if human beings cut covenant in biblical times and then broke covenants, their own family members would hunt them down to kill them. It was an absolute shame to break a covenant. And thank God that we are not serving a covenant-breaking God. In fact, the Bible tells us we have a covenant-keeping God. In the Old Testament, um, Israel sometimes ran afoul of the covenant uh, because they broke the covenant. And therefore, as breakers of the covenant, there were certain curses that were released on their lives. And... Um, we read about the children of Israel having the potential for such wonderful things happening in their lives. We also read about the children of Israel having potentially some horrible things happening in their lives. And we need to understand that all of those things are surrounded or encircled in the idea of God calling them into covenant. Are you with me this morning? You and I, we step also into a covenant with God. And that covenant has tremendous blessings that go with it. Hallelujah. And many times Christians never walk in the blessings that their covenant provides them with. However, let me also say this. In the Old Testament, to run afoul of the covenant was a big mistake. Now we live in a day in which people are telling us it doesn't matter how we live, we're not going to run afoul of the covenant. Uh, Pastor, you can correct me if I'm wrong after I leave. Uh, I, I don't believe that that's true about our lives. I believe that we also can run afoul of the covenant. In fact, that's why the Bible says that you and I should serve God with fear and trembling. Uh, you know, not just this reverential fear. The word is phobia. The word is trembling. It really means to be afraid because our God is a consuming fire. The Bible says it would have been better not to know him than have to known him and walk away from him. In the same way with the children of Israel, they, they were better off to not to know God than, you know, and to be a Gentile than for what they ran into. But potentially the only way to be saved is to enter the covenant. However, once you enter the covenant to walk away from it, we should be afraid of it. Hallelujah. I'm afraid to grow cold. Okay, I'm afraid to walk away from the Lord. You're never going to find me walking away from the Lord because I understand that I am in covenant with God that has great benefits. 
But I also don't want to run on the flip side of that either. Are you with me? Let me give you an example. Turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Sorry, it's also a new Bible, so it takes longer to find the places. Minus in the luggage that was lost. First Corinthians chapter 11 is talking about celebrating the covenant meal. Verse 26, it says, for every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, you are symbolizing the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily or in an unworthy way will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of Jesus. Let a man examine himself and so should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discriminating or recognizing the body eats and drinks a sentence upon himself. This is the reason that many are weak and many are sick among you and quite enough have fallen asleep in death. Here's the reason that many Christians are sick, according to the Apostle Paul. In a church, the Corinthian church, filled with the gifts of the Spirit, he lets them know that this is the reason that many Christians are sick is because they do not discern the covenant that they're in with the Lord and the covenant that they are in with each other. Actually, if you go back to the Greek language, it pulls out the word Lord in many of the scriptures and says they do not discern the body when they eat and drink. He's not talking about the body of Jesus physical. It's talking about the body of Christ. See, the Corinthian church, when they gathered together, they didn't care about one another. They viewed Christianity as an individual walk with an individual God. However, that is not Christianity. Christianity is a corporate relationship with God. It is not individuals, but it is a body. It is a oneness. And so the Corinthian church struggled and, and ran afoul of the covenant because they didn't care about one another. And this is really what we're supposed to be examining in our lives. If you go back to chapter 11 before this, and after this, you'll find that it was strife that they had with each other. They didn't care what was going on in each other's life. And so when they ate the covenant meal, they didn't understand that they were to discern the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they drank judgment to themselves. Thank God there's mercy and we can get healed and we can get forgiven and we can get delivered. But some people don't get healed until they first judge themselves that's what it goes on to say if we judge ourselves we will not be judged we won't be chastened by the lord you know with some charismatic teaching it's you know god is not involved in this at all no god in the old testament with the children of israel would remove his hand and israel would fall under punishments they would be attacked by their enemies in the same way, God's chastening can be to remove his hand from our lives and allow us to be attacked. And if we find ourselves attacked, this is one of the first places to check, how am I with my covenant 
with the Lord and with each other. And if I judge myself, I'll not be judged. Hallelujah. That's why in the book of uh, James, if you go there, James chapter 5. See, the expectations that God has for his people are different than the expectations that he has for the world. You know, just like my expectations for my children are different than, you know, inviting a stranger into my house who doesn't know the rules. God's serious when he says that we should love one another. This is a commandment that we should love one another. James chapter 5 Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him, anointing him with oil in the Lord's name. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, confess to one another, therefore, your faults and pray for one another that you may be healed. So one of the things that is often not mentioned in charismatic churches is the idea that confession of sin may be necessary in order to be physically healed. And so confession of sin sometimes to the Lord, sometimes to the, to the person themselves, uh, may remove the roadblock so that one can receive physical healing. Hallelujah. In other words, physical healing is part of our covenant. We have a right to be healed. It doesn't matter what sickness it is. It doesn't matter if it's diabetes. It doesn't matter if it's arthritis. It doesn't matter if it's cancer. It doesn't matter if it's blindness or deafness. It, all, all sickness is included in our covenant. We have the right. In fact, we have already available to us everything necessary to walk in health. Praise the Lord. You know, um, we have a lot of people in Africa come and, and ask us to pray for them that they might be healed. And one of the things that I tell them when they come is, God is not deciding today whether he's going to heal you or not. Because Peter says, by his stripes, you were healed. So God is already, the conclusion of God is a, is a foregone conclusion. We can actually take God out of the equation. In other words, the deposit has already been made in the person's bank account. We simply need to withdraw it. And that's why we use the laying on of hands or the prayer of faith. We are releasing that which actually is waiting for them. And it doesn't matter what's wrong with them. Hallelujah. We've had people killed of cancer and deafness and blindness and diabetes and all kinds of things. It doesn't matter. In God's mind, Jesus paid it all. Hallelujah. But there are some times when the person themselves may have a blockage in their life if they're a believer, and they may have to say, Lord, there's something that's blocking me from receiving my healing. Hallelujah. So I often say to them, you know, here's the verse. If there's anything that you need to confess before we pray, then you talk to the Lord. If you feel like you need to tell me, tell me. And then if they say there's nothing, well, then I just go on and pray for them. But I found people that, you know, sometimes they, they have asked God to forgive them and they're healed even before they're prayed for. You know, we had a lady up in Massachusetts. She had arthritis. She couldn't move her neck hardly at all. We were preaching about this covenant that we have, which includes love. 
and she realized she was unforgiving to her husband. She just leaned over to him and said, honey, I'm sorry, and her, her neck was healed instantly. Hallelujah. My own wife, Mary, struggled with an issue of blood for about seven years. She may have shared that with you. She was healed. We had prayed hundreds of times over those seven years. And then she went before the Lord. She said, Lord, what's the issue? What's stopping me from receiving that which you have for me? And God showed her that she had bitterness in her heart. She asked God to forgive her. And the next day she, she was healed and she's never had that problem again. Hallelujah. And that's why Mark 11.25, following 11.24, says, When you pray, when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Because actually something against anyone can keep you from walking in your covenant rights and privileges. Hallelujah. So I don't want anything against anyone stopping me. It's not worth it. If they hurt you, I'm sorry that they hurt you, but for you to let that control the rest of your life is foolishness. Whether you let that hinder your prayers and your relationship with God is, is foolish. Just let it go. Forgive. God has so much better for you. He's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think or imagine. Hallelujah. Okay, turn back with me, if you would, to the book of Exodus, chapter 19. Verse 5, this is God speaking to the children of Israel. He says, now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own peculiar possession and treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Okay, so in... in Moses has this conversation with God, and God says, I want a kingdom of priests. The important thing is they obey me and keep my covenant so that they can be different and blessed and be a peculiar treasure on all the earth. Hallelujah. Now, this same language shows up again in 1 Peter. In fact, it's almost a direct quote. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation, God's own special people. That you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Notice that in Peter writing to them, he's not talking about them individually. He's also talking about them corporately. We are God's people, God's own peculiar people. But remember the context in the Old Testament was this was a covenant principle. 
In other words, they were God's special people because they were in covenant with God. And in order for them to fulfill their mandate as being his own special people, a peculiar nation, they needed to walk in obedience. Hallelujah. Okay? So God, as Sister said this morning, has not changed. He is still requiring obedience. Obedience has been the very thing from the beginning. It will be the thing at the very end in the book of Revelation that God is looking for in our lives is to obey. Now, here's one of the exciting principles about the new covenant. The reason that there was even such a thing as the new covenant, according to the book of Hebrews, is it says God found fault with them under the old covenant and he disregarded them. He, in other words, he asked the children of Israel to obey. And he gave them a lot of motivations to obey. And they said, we will obey. But the Old Testament is a series of failures, even by men like David, you know, who wrote most of the book of Psalms. He still was subject to failure. So it says God instituted a new covenant because of man's failure. Part of what the new covenant is to do for us is to God putting himself under a binding agreement to help us with our obedience. In other words, God guarantees us. We have scriptures like in the book of Jude, now to him who's able to keep us from stumbling and falling. Hallelujah. He's at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. These are new covenant promises where in the book of Ezekiel, he says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my ways. God actually says, I take it upon myself to cause you to be the people that you are meant to be. Hallelujah. You say, well, Pastor Rob, or whatever you want to call me, Rob, if that's true, then why am I still struggling with habitual sins? Why am I still walking in darkness? Why am I still tripping up? Listen, there are a couple components to our covenant. One of them is the component of faith. See, the grace of God flows through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. In other words, it is believing that allows the power of God to invade our lives. Many Christians are actually living under the old covenant in their dealings. They are trying so hard to live the Christian life. And so they try and they fail and they try and they fail. They try and they fail. I don't know if you've ever been there before. I was there for many years. We try and we fail and then we get discouraged and we say, well, we just can't meet the standard. And that's why grace is there. Grace is there because we can't meet the standard. No, actually grace is there not only because we cannot meet the standard. It is there to give us the ability to meet the standard. So that he who glories in you know, he who glories, glories in the Lord. In other words, it's the Lord's responsibility to make it happen in my life. 
if I attain to living a godly, holy life, there's only one that gets the credit, and it's not me. It is the Lord Jesus. And it is His grace which is sufficient in my weakness. Okay? So I, I realize that I cannot live this godly life, even though I'm a missionary, even though I read the Bible, even though I pray, even though I fast, I cannot live this godly life unless God does it in me and through me. And the covenant, our new covenant, is God basically saying, I take responsibility for you. And all I need from you is for you to trust me that I will work in you to will and to do my good pleasure. Hallelujah. He is able to keep me from stumbling and falling. I could not keep myself. No seminar could keep me. No book that I read could keep me. He is able to keep me from stumbling and falling. Hallelujah. All right, so let me just go back in the Old Testament, and then we'll, we'll move forward a little bit. Okay, Isaiah chapter 53. For time's sake, I'll just kind of run through it. Verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5 has this idea of the four-part work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. When Jesus said that it was finished, it was really finished. You know, we are on a winning team. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes I, I'm a little disturbed as I travel America. I find Christians so discouraged, like we're losing. We're not losing. Hallelujah. We're on the winning team. It, it, it is finished. Jesus has conquered. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. Hallelujah. It's not the governments. It's not some politicians. It's not some political party. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. And we are a holy nation. And we are a peculiar people. And there is no defeating us. Hallelujah. We have the power of God. We can influence nations. Jesus sent them out and said, go and teach all nations. Those were pagan nations. A lot worse than we have today. A lot worse than America. Okay? I mean, they, they, human sacrifice was common in many of these places. But hallelujah, the gospel changed them. Hallelujah. And so... God wants us to understand that there are different parts of what Jesus has done. Now, let me give you an example. He was wounded for our transgressions, our sins. Most Christians walk in, in the light of that to some degree. When I say walk in the light of that, in other words, when you ask God to forgive you, some of us here, not all of us, really believe we're forgiven. Okay, some of us are still trying to make deals. You know, I'll be better, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. That's not how forgiveness works. Forgiveness is really about he paid for it. We need to accept it as ours. We need to let it cleanse our conscience so that we don't feel guilty about what we did in the past. You know, Jesus' blood, it says, is to cleanse our conscience from every dead work that we might serve the living God. You know, if you feel guilty about your past, it's going to stop you from serving God. 
So there are some people that they confess their sins, but they still feel bad about what they did three, five years ago. Let it go. God, let it go. Let it go. Because that self-condemnation is going to keep you from exercising faith properly. Hallelujah. I've made many, 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 many mistakes. I'm not going to tell you what they are. Okay? He knows. But I have to let him, I have to receive forgiveness. So many Christians are walking in the light of that because they've heard that preached. They've heard that preached. They've heard that preached. And they have come to a place of believing so that that grace can flow into their lives and wash away their sins. You know that there are many Christians, some, who believe in healing. By his stripes, you are healed, or the passage says, right? But we have to understand that many Christians never walk in the full light of that because when difficulty comes or a report comes, we lose sight of what is actually ours. But we're guaranteed healing just as much as we're guaranteed forgiveness of sins. Is getting forgiven difficult? No, it's not difficult. Simple. Is getting healed difficult? No, it's simple. Hallelujah. If he can forgive any sin, he can also heal any disease. Praise the Lord. But we need to hear it to the extent that we believe it so that through faith, the grace of God can flow into our lives. Hallelujah. So I would say that, you know, some people are walking in, in the light of, of healing. Certainly less than are walking in the light of forgiveness of sins. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. You know, you and I are supposed to be walking in peace in our lives. And there are many Christians who are not walking in peace. But peace is our portion. Hallelujah. Jesus died so that we could have peace in the midst of storms. Peace with God, peace with one another, peace, hallelujah. How do you receive peace? Peace is the same way. It must be received by faith. You know, God's way is not necessarily to make everything go smooth. God's way is to actually increase peace levels. He says, let grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So I can have more peace today. In fact, I do. Hallelujah. I've got more peace today than I had last year. Things that used to bother me last year don't bother me like they used to. Hallelujah. Things that used to bother me five years ago, they don't bother me like they used to. Why? My grace and my peace levels are coming up. Hallelujah. Thank God I don't need tranquilizers. I don't need, you know, these different drugs. Jesus is my answer. Hallelujah. But I, I had to first find out that that was part of my covenant, peace. And then there's one that I don't think many people are walking in at all, which is he was bruised for our iniquities. Iniquity is different than transgression. A transgression is an act of sin. An iniquity is the the force that causes me to sin. Okay, some uh, strongs would say it's a bend. Okay, it's a bend in my character that makes me bend in certain ways. You know, some people are bent towards lying. 
Some people are bent towards greed. Some people are bent towards lust. Some people are bent towards alcohol. Some people are bent towards using bad language. Whatever the bend is, he was bruised to get rid of the bend in my life. So that the patterns of sin, the habitual patterns of sin, could actually be dealt with by not by my efforts and struggle, but by the grace of God. Grace flowing through faith. See, when he said that he would give us a new spirit, a new heart, he really meant it. But those things function as we believe in them. If we don't believe in them, then many times we'll have them like a reservoir, but never drink of it. In other words, it's always there, always waiting for us to turn to it. You know, we have a paraclete, right? We have, the, we have the helper. He's there, right? And he's there, and he'll be there, you know, day in, day out, and he'll be there and never do anything unless you look to him to do something. In the same way, God's grace in our lives is there so hopefully we get to a point in our lives when we recognize, I cannot live this Christian life. I cannot do this. I am unable to be holy and godly, but there is someone who is holy. A Holy Spirit, which is put inside of me to make me what God himself could only do. Hallelujah. Therefore, he says, therefore, holy brethren. You know, sometimes when we read that, you say, is he talking to me? Yes, he is, if we believe that God will do this in our lives. You know, character can be changed not only through what we go through, it can be changed by the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, we have stories where the Spirit of God would come on someone, it says, and he was changed into a different person. Hallelujah. Let me, let me give you a couple examples, and I'll, and I'll try to move on. When, when the Lord Jesus spoke about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, if we really think about what he was saying and what John the Baptist was saying, let me give you an example. John the Baptist sees Jesus walking along, right? And he says two things about Jesus. He says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, I believe when the disciples heard this, they became very, very excited about Jesus having a ministry of baptism like John did, but not with water, but with fire and the Spirit. Because in the Old Testament, people who had the Spirit of God come upon their lives, they became other than normal human beings. They did things that others could not do. They became, in a generation, a source of solutions. Someone who could be looked to in times of difficulty to bring victory. Hallelujah. Someone who was key to the people of God experiencing victory in their lives. And, and Jesus was basically going to do this carte blanche, or he was going to bring this not to one individual in a generation, but to a, to a nation of people. He was going to baptize us and fill us with his spirit so that we could be others. Hallelujah. 
That's why he said to the disciples, wait until you be filled with this power. Wait until this power comes upon you because then we're going to release you into the nations and you're going to bring change in those nations because of the power of God that's on your lives. We can send you to India. We can send you to, to Jordan. We can, send you, we can send you to the furthermost parts of the earth. And because of the power of God, you will be an agent of change. Hallelujah. See, for many of us, when we heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what we thought we were getting was tongues. And we're exercising faith for a prayer language. And thank God for a prayer language. Jesus, the promise of the Father is not to give you a prayer language. It's to give you the power of the Spirit to be a witness. Having a prayer language, yes, it comes with the package. Thank God for it. Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all. I believe in speaking with tongues. I pray in tongues a lot. It has helped me so much in my life. But I didn't just receive tongues. I received the power. Jesus said, you will receive dunamis, miracle working power from on high. To be a witness. And some of us in this room, you're sitting on a reservoir of power and you have never used it for what it was given for. Hallelujah. You know, it says in Acts chapter 2, right? The Spirit of God came on the day of Pentecost and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, to be baptized, baptized means to be dipped or immersed. It was a term that was used for people that dyed garments. And so what they would do is they would take the dye and then they would dip the garment into the dye until the dye was absorbed into the garment so that the dye and the garment had become one and then they could say, this was baptized. In other words, the garment took on the character of the dye. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, what it meant is Jesus took us and dipped us until we were saturated, till we took on the character and it became a part of who we are. And that garment is never the same after that. In other words, you cannot undye it. It's been dyed. Hallelujah. And so the Spirit of God, that power has come into our lives and it's part of us. It's, it's our essence. We are supernatural beings. That's why I said last night, you know, one of the passages that we often take for granted says to as many as received him, he gave them the power, the capacity to be children of God. Children of God in that time when people thought of a child of a God, they were Hercules or, you know, these others. It was, you know, these were these were not human beings anymore. The limitations of being a human being was gone. They were different. They were other. Hallelujah. They could do what could not be done by a human being. But many of us, we have received the mantle of power and never used the mantle. And don't feel bad about that. I believe that's what happened in the early church. It says they were all in the upper room, right? 120 of them. Spirit of God came upon them. They began to speak in other tongues. Spirit gave utterance. And then we find the apostles doing these signs and wonders, right? What about the others? 
We don't have any record of all the other 108 doing anything. We get all the way to Stephen when it says Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. What else was he filled with? Faith. It says Stephen, full of faith and the Holy Spirit, did signs and wonders among the people. Why? Because that faith that he had allowed that reservoir to work. Stephen really was, in a sense, a groundbreaker for the others because it was like Stephen began to walk in the faith that allowed him to do what the Scripture said is what we're called to do. These signs will follow those who believe. Hallelujah. It is believing that allows us to walk in what our covenant has provided for us. There is supernatural power on our life to do amazing things. There is supernatural power in our lives to cause us to walk in ways we have never walked before. Remember the story of Elijah and Elijah in the Old Testament? Elijah, you know, he gave up a lot to follow Elijah. He was a wealthy businessman, farmer. He left all that behind because why? Elijah came along one day, took off his mantle, which was symbolic of his anointing on his life, and threw it on him. And Elijah decided, I want that. And he left his normal life to go and get that which potentially could be his. Can I say again? Potentially could be his. And he followed for a period of, I don't know how long, probably some years. He followed Elijah around, having no supernatural activity going on in his life, doing nothing spectacular. And I believe as the story goes, the sons of the prophets come to Elijah and say to him, you know your master's going to be taken from you today? I believe in some ways it was almost like a taunt. You know, you were hanging around the big guy. We didn't get to hang around him, but he's going to be going today, and you still haven't done anything. And he says, I know, keep quiet. And he goes on to the next place. He goes on to the next place. He goes on to the next place. And then he gets to a point where Elijah says to him, what would you like me to do for you? And he says, I want a double portion of the spirit that's upon you. I want to do greater things than you have ever done. Hallelujah. And so what happens is, he says, if you see me when I ascend, you'll receive it. And so what happens, a whirlwind comes, he's caught up, and Elijah's caught up. Guess what falls to the earth? His mantle. And this is what Elijah does. He tears his own garments first. Garments were symbolic of your own nature, your own identity, who you were. And he was saying, this is not who I am anymore. I am now this. And he took that mantle and he went to the same waters that Elijah had just parted. And he struck those waters and he said, where is the God of Elijah and the waters parted? In other words... Elijah understood that he should be doing the same things that Elijah did. Because why? 
he had been received a mantle. Now, Jesus said it this way. He said, wait into Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. You know the word endued, what it means? It means clothed. It's actually the word clothed. He was actually saying, wait into Jerusalem until you receive different clothing. But when the different clothing comes, you've got to get rid of your old clothing. In other words, you have to stop thinking of yourself the way you've been thinking of yourself. You've now got to think of yourself not as just who you were, but who you were created to be. See, Jesus said it this way. He actually said to us, I'm not waiting for you to ask for the double portion. He's actually said in John chapter 14, the works that I did, greater works than these you shall do. He's actually welcoming us into that portion to say, I'm going to go to the Father. And when I go to the Father, I'm going to send you the Spirit so that you can do the things that I did. And even greater things will you do because I go to the Father. Hallelujah. Then the disciples are with Jesus, remember, and he gets caught up just like Elijah did. And the angels come and they say, guys, do you understand what's happening here? Do you understand why you're looking up into heaven? You've just seen him ascend. The mantle is going to fall. Now, when the mantle falls, what are you going to do with it? And I believe that part of my Christian life, I've been guilty of having the mantle and not using it. Having it in my closet and making it a prayer closet. When God did not give it to me to have a prayer closet, God gave it to me to go to the world. These are garments to carry with us to go into all the world. Hallelujah. Signs and wonders says the children of God will be for signs and wonders in the earth. Hallelujah. This is part of our covenant. This is the promise of the father. Say, Pastor, well, how 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 is it that I have this and I, I never have utilized the potential that's in it? Grace flows through faith. Grace flows through faith. Let me give you a couple other things and I'll close for today. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul is praying for the church in Ephesians chapter 1, right? Verse 18, 19. 19, he says something like this. He says, And that you may know the exceeding greatness of his power. What's the next word? Anyone there? Toward those who believe. God's power, where is it? It is toward those who believe. You know, you can be a magnet for God's power. Because God's power is available, but God's power goes towards those who believe. Hallelujah. In other words, in many times in church, we have power, or we have power even in our own lives as we're walking around with the Lord. But God's power goes towards those who believe. In other words, Belief becomes, it's like a conductor. You know, if there's electricity, no one wants to be on the golf course with golf clubs. Why? 
because they know there's the potential that that power is going to come for that metal rod. And we live in the fear of one out of a thousand that power can come towards that metal rod, right? Here what I'm saying to you is belief is not one out of a thousand. Belief will always cause God's power to come towards you. If you need God's power, belief will bring it. Hallelujah. Okay. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? It is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation, like the word saved, is this all-inclusive word, which means healing, deliverance, wholeness, preservation. What's the power of God? The message itself is the power of God. If you want to bring the power of God to someone, bring them the message. Understand that the message does not come simply through an individual. The power doesn't come just simply through an individual. It comes through the message. says, how can they believe unless they've heard, right? You know, sometimes we're praying for people when they're not ready. says, if anyone's sick, what should they do? They should call for the elders of the church. What kind of call is that? It's not a phone call. It's the call of faith. Sometimes in a rush to help people, we actually, we actually try to get things for them where they're not positioned yet to get them. Sometimes we've got to preach the truth to them so that they can believe, so that they can be saved. This is God's way. This is God's normal way. Unless it's through the gifts of the Spirit, salvation generally comes through the gospel itself. It says, how, how can they believe unless they've heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? So, in other words, in order to get to healing, deliverance, wholeness, preservation, what do they need? We need preachers. Who are the preachers? We are. We're preachers, and we have to preach in such a way that develops faith in people so that they can release the grace or God can release the grace into their lives. In other words, you cannot... Develop faith in people when you're always talking about what didn't happen. Or you're talking about disappointments. Right? Faith comes by hearing the word of God, not by hearing our experiences. You know, sometimes people are, you know, well, I know sister so-and-so didn't get healed. I know brother so-and-so didn't get healed. Yes, I know they didn't get healed either. But as long as, you, if long as that's the thing that's mostly on your mind and heart when you're talking about healing, you're not going to help people. There are questions we cannot answer. Sometimes and we, know, we need to keep our nose out of some of those situations. But what we do know is there is a word that we can preach. And if we preach it and people believe it, they can be saved. Hallelujah. You know, I had a couple situations in Africa that really challenged my own personal faith. I've had several over the years. I don't know if I told you this story. Did I ever tell you about the lady that got bit by a snake? Did I tell you this story? No. There was a lady that was bitten by a snake, 
uh, I was called to her house to go and pray for her. She called and said to her daughter, bring the pastor to the house. I, I need him to come and pray for me. I got there. She was trembling. She couldn't even stand up. She was just absolutely weak. And uh, she said to me, you know, pastor, I was bitten by a snake and, you know, I'm not feeling well. So I said, well, where did the snake bite you? And she showed me a bitter on the foot. And then she pulled up her shirt a little bit. You know, in Africa, they're not shy. Pulled up her shirt a little bit. And I could see the blood poisoning had gone all the way from her foot, all the way up. It was right next to her heart. Now, I know a little bit about medicine. And I said to her, are you sure you don't want to go to the hospital? And she said, no, I know that when you pray for me, I will be healed. So I had to gather myself, you know, because sometimes you have to gather yourself, right? You have to <laughs> gather myself, say, okay, okay, and now I've run some references in my heart, my spirit. I've positioned myself. When I laid hands on her in the name of Jesus, you know what? All the shaking stopped. All the weakness stopped. She said, I feel fine. Hallelujah. Some months later, she developed a, a growth on the inside of her thigh. The doctors told her it was cancerous and they would have to cut it out. And she showed up again in church and she said, Pastor, if you pray for me, I know I'll be healed. I prayed for her in the name of Jesus. It shrunk down from about, you know, the size of a fist. The next week she came back, it was the size of a golf ball. It turned black. And she came back and some other people in the church said, you know, this is terrible. Look how it's turned black. I said, there's no problem in the name of Jesus. And it just disappeared completely. Hallelujah. Her faith was making a way for the power of God to go towards her. We had another girl. She showed up at our gates. I didn't know it. It was her around midnight at night. There was a knock at our gates. And in Botswana, we have everything gated and locked and chained and, and so forth. So around midnight, you know, there's this noise at our gate. And I said to Mary, hopefully they'll go away. You know, I don't want to go out at night. It's dangerous to go out at night because uh, a lot of times the thieves, they want to invite you out there, and then while they're talking with you, someone else hits you with a, in the head with a brick or something. You know, it's not very pleasant. So they weren't going away. So I grabbed a baseball bat, and I went to the gates. And Mary stood at the window looking through. You know, she said, I'll keep an eye on you. I said, thanks a lot, honey. Uh, <laughs> And so I went out there, and uh, there was this two big guys at the gate, you know, which didn't make me feel very comfortable at first. Then they said, um, we're here with, this, with uh, our sister, and we're taking her to the hospital. But she said, before I go to the hospital, I want to go and see Pastor. And so I, I came outside, and it was a girl who had kind of fallen away from the Lord for a little while. She was eight months pregnant. And I peeked my head in the car, and she said, you know, I said, what's wrong? And she said, she was crying, and she said, it's, it's choking me, you know, and uh, she has a pathetic voice and, and so forth. And I reached in, and I could feel that she had this big growth on her neck, you know. So I put my hand in there. I said, in the name of Jesus, you know, I said a few things. I took my hand off, and I said, how are you now? She reached for it, and her mom was there. Her mom was standing outside, and she said, Mom, it's gone. And they begin to cry and hug each other. And I saw this smile flash across a grandfather's face. And I came inside the house. I crawled up into bed, and I started crying. And I said, I got the greatest job in the world. That's not just my job. That's our job.
We are a peculiar people. We are a rare treasure in the earth. And the world is lucky to have us because we are the light of the world. And we're a city set on the hill. And God wants to use you in amazing ways. He has covenanted to use you. And what he needs from us is belief. And what he needs from us is love. He is able, hallelujah, to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think or imagine. You know, when I went to the mission field, I, I, to be honest with you, I never expected those things to happen in my life. But my faith has grown, and I'm expecting for great things. Hallelujah. You know, it says we're going to raise the dead. It's coming. I know it's coming. Hallelujah. We had a situation. You saw that um, uh, container that was delivered. That was really an encouragement to us. This container got delivered, and uh, th that yellow wagon contained about three tons of farming equipment, plows and all kinds of things. The man that you saw on the plow is 81 years old. He, he had a vision of doing something with farming when he was a teenager in Africa. Hallelujah. And so, you know, this was it, when we met him in 2007, he began running around trying to get together farming equipment. He spent thousands of his own dollars to do this. You know, he, he had to fulfill this vision of doing something with farming in Africa. In fact, you know, after he, he assembled the things together, we didn't have the money to ship it. I went to a pastor friend in America, and we were talking, and I said, you know, here's this 80-year-old man. He's assembled all these things together, but he's, you know, he's running out of time. I got to get this stuff over to Africa. And the pastor said, how much will it cost? I said, about $10,000. He said, I'll take care of it. Praise the Lord. And that's how it got sent. Well, it shows up there, and we're unloading it. We're, we're loading it from the loading dock, which is like this, onto the truck, which is down here. And the truck is tilted like this. And this 81-year-old man is so excited about this. You know, he wants to be part of, you know, all, everything that's happening. He climbs up in the back of the truck. And we're saying to him, you know, I, we don't think you should be in the back of the truck because it's like this. Well, he, unfortunately, he didn't listen. And they, they put uh, shovels to, 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 to bridge that distance. So it would kind of go up and then down. And um, so when that 6,000-pound wagon went over those things, it got loose and it came charging at that old man. And he was standing in the, in the tr back of this big truck, and what happened is it hit him on the side first, spun him this way, and then the full weight of it hit him in the chest. It was on an incline. It compressed him. And people were screaming, and all we could hear was this horrible moaning from coming from him in the front. You know, uh, I never want to hear those moans again. And he was a good friend of ours. And, you know, we ran over, and it was four guys on my side, and I think there were probably about four on the other, and not small people. We were pushing with all our might to get that thing off of him. And we were pushing, pushing, pushing. We were able to get it about this far up the incline to get it off his chest, and we were, we were yelling, someone bring something to put under the wheels because we were losing our strength, and it was starting to come back. That's how heavy it was. And when we got to him, he couldn't speak. He was just moaning horribly. And instinctively, I just took my hand and put it on his chest and began to pray. My wife was praying. 
people begin to gather because they were expecting him to be dead any minute. You know, when something happens, people gather around. And within about two minutes, the moaning stopped. Within another two minutes, he sat down on the side of the truck. And within another two minutes, he was saying, put that over there and do this or do that. And we said, hey, go and sit down. You just got crushed, you know. <laughs> and so I said to Mary, you know, we better take him to the private doctor because, you know, we, you know, for his wife's sake or whatever. So she got in the car and she prayed with him as they drove. They got to the private doctor. They told the private doctor what happened. They took him into to, to the doctors. His blood pressure was completely normal. There was no broken ribs. Um, and that was Monday. Wednesday night he was speaking to our men's group saying about when God's given you a vision for your life and you trust him, it shall come to pass. Hallelujah. And I want to encourage you, if you've got a vision, if God's given you something with your life, don't give up on it. It may tarry, but it will come. Hallelujah. We have a covenant, a covenant of protection, a covenant of safety, covenant of healing, covenant of provision. Let's find out what's in our covenant. Let's read it. Let's hear it. Let's digest it. Let's get it inside of us and let's not settle for anything less. Unbelief is offensive to God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And I believe in Cheyenne, Wyoming, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to please him. Hallelujah. Let God do what only God can do in your life. You know, now we've become friends with the vice president. I don't know what God's going to do. I'm starting to set my eyes on other nations. Hallelujah. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Thank you so much for your part in our lives, for your prayers for us. Uh, I'm not saying that we're superheroes. We need your prayers. Uh, and your prayers have kept us. The prayers of other saints have kept us. We need your prayers. We ask you to pray even more for us as you think about us. And know also when you're going through difficult times, there might be some folks in Africa praying for you as well. May God richly bless you. Pastor, thank you so much for letting us come. Thank you. Hmm. <laughs> Good word. Hmm. I feel like we need to just wait a minute. Rob, why don't you come back up here? So I, I feel like there are people here, uh, and that, that would also uh, be us corporately. Uh, but I think there are individuals here uh, who have words from the Lord that, that have tarried. And I, I just want you to stand up if if that's you. And uh, I feel like the Lord wants to release faith. 
today. More faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're not standing, then you can stand for the promises to Cheyenne Vineyard. <laughs> because we, we have some promises from the Lord. <laughs> and yes, he is faithful. <laughs> and if we continue to say yes and be persuaded that he will do what he said. <laughs> that's that's our part, is to be persuaded and have faith that he will do what he said. And then he will do what he said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I want you to pray for us. As we, uh, I told Rob last night, we, we receive him as a prophet. But we receive him uh, as an apostle also. So release. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, it's you who gave us these visions and these desires and these purposes in our life. We didn't imagine them or conjure them up ourselves. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we stand united today. That you who spoke to us are able to complete that work which you began in us. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we come against every work of darkness to discourage to unemploy us from the purposes of God in the name of Jesus, it shall not be so. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for a divine grace impartation this morning. Father, to lift us in our inner person, to lay hold of the grace and to run our race. Lord, of patience and perseverance in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray for an awakening of the visions in our lives. For the dreams that you put in our lives, we pray that they'd be awakened, Lord. And they would rise up, Lord, from the ashes. And that we would wage a good warfare with them. We thank you, Lord, for reviving us. For encouraging us to stir us, to build us. We thank you for the days of restoration in our life have come. We thank you that we shall arise and shine for the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. Father, we are thankful that the days of waiting have come to an end. Father, we thank you for a release of your spirit, an impartation of life in our lives and in our spirit, man. Hallelujah, we thank you for divine encouragements. Father, we thank you, Lord, that the bonds and the, the chains are broken now in the name of Jesus. We speak new life into marriages. We speak new life into families. We speak new life into our visions and our dreams, Lord. We thank you that in the last days you said that you would pour out upon all flesh and that you would give us dreams and visions, Lord, that you would accomplish. And Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. 
Hallelujah. We thank you for the visions and dreams that you've given this church, Lord, to be a city on a hill, a lighthouse, Lord, even to the region. We pray in the name of Jesus. We say to you, we believe. We believe. We believe that you're able and that you will bring it to pass. We thank you, Lord, and we'll give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise from whatever comes from our lives. We thank you that there is one name above every name, and it's the name of Jesus. And to that name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And so, Father, we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. We thank you that we will not give up and we will not quit. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord put a passage on my heart. It says, do not remember the former things, neither consider the things of, of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it and know it, and will you not give heed to it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Amen. Who? <laughs> yes, meditate on being God's gift to this city. Yes, <laughs> we are called to be a supernatural people. That's our destiny. Mm -hmm. Yes, so Lord, empower us <laughs> as we go. Thank you that we have been immersed, died <laughs> in your spirit. and leak out of us all over this city for the glory of your Son. Amen. <laughs>